This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sons of Thunder show. I'm Father Justin Waltz. And I'm Father Josh Waltz. We're brothers in blood. Brothers in the priesthood. We got... One heck of a guest uh, on the phone. It was supposed to be in studio, but we got him on on the phone. A good friend of ours, uh, his name is Eric Lowe. He's going to be uh, on the phone, and we're going to interview him on our newest segment entitled Real People, Real Problems, Real Conversion. Eric, great to have you with us. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, man. So this, just so everybody understands, uh, Eric... Went to high school with us. We, uh, he was in my brother's class. Uh, he, I kind of knew him. You know, I was three years. I was a punk little sophomore kid hang, trying to hang out with the seniors. But, uh, you know, he, had, he has an incredible story and in how it, it all leads from, you know, uh, identity, wounds, and just how far we as human beings can fall and then just how, how much God will reach down into that mess and pull us out. So, Eric, maybe if you can just kind of start out, give us a little background, uh, and, and to begin this conversion story that uh, everybody I know is going to be blown away by. Well, there's, I mean, it can be a short story or a long story. I'll try to make <laughs> it a short story. But, uh, you, know, it, you know, first through eighth grade was good. You know, I was in advanced classes, advanced math, blah, 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 you know, doing really good. Well, then I got to uh, high school, freshman year, and it seemed like everybody had their group. There was the popular kids, the smart kids, the good look. I don't know. Everybody had their groups, and I didn't really have a group. So I kind of fell into the knucklehead group, and I think, Father Justin, you were in that group, too. (laughs) Word. But, but, uh, you know, we were just kind of a bunch of idiots, you know, or not idiots, just high schoolers. And we And we just uh, started drinking and partying on the weekends, you know, and uh, it was fun and whatnot, and um, then eventually a marijuana came along. And, you know, before I started doing this, you know, um, I don't know, it just amazed me after I started smoking pot and doing whatnot, all the amazing, beautiful girls that wanted to hang out with me, all these new friends I had in this elaborate group I thought, you know, I was part of. That was new, my new group. And I kind of built off of that. You know, all of a sudden, people were calling me. They wanted to meet me. If I could get them drugs, I could, you know, and I just, I felt really popular in myself. And um, this this went on and whatnot. And um, eventually, meth came along. And uh, from my first line on, I was hooked. I mean, that, 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 that drug made me every person... The person I thought I wanted to be. I could walk up to anybody. I could say anything I wanted. I felt cool as heck. And, uh, yeah, and I just, I just thought that's who I was, and I built off of that. And, you know, had I tried to become president back then for as hard as I tried to be a drug dealer, I mean, <laughs> I probably would end up being the president. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Eric, maybe, just, you know, like, one of the things I remember uh, talking to you during your your conversion story is just how, like, you know, when you, you said your self-esteem was really low, looking into the mirror, you hated this guy, 
and 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 out of that, so like living out of that wound is what kind of caused you to do whatever it took uh, to get on top. And, and that, that's basically it. I was, you know, in high school, it's just a really, I mean, for me, and I don't know, for you, everybody else, it was just such an ugly time because we were so mean to each other. I mean, I remember the things that we used to sit and say to each other. I mean, the fat people, we, I mean, the jokes that were made about everybody, you know, but I mean, especially I was, I was teased a lot too. And uh, my, my thing, everybody teased me about my nose. And I, because uh, it was so big and whatnot. And when I would go to the bathroom, I wouldn't even look in the mirror because I hated the person looking back at me. I felt so ugly. And like I said, and then I started doing drugs and whatnot. And it took away all that, those crappy feelings. And I felt good, you know, and it just, uh, yeah, and it built off of that. You know, I, I want to bring something up too. Um, you know, having been at you know at at St. Mary's, we were all at St. Mary's back in the day, back in the '90s. Seems like an eternity ago now. Uh, but for on one end, you know, we didn't have the Catholic formation at all that uh, we have in our schools now. They were Catholic by name. Um, but that, that was, that was, and I think that's, that was a lot of the schools throughout the country, which did nobody any service at all. The, you know, the, the, the same people that should have been helping young students, which we're doing now through those times and, and sort of putting a hedge around people, uh, that, that, that wasn't, that wasn't there whatsoever. It was all about athletics and academics and everything else. And, you know, you could put up whatever facade and as long as you had that facade, you were fine. Uh, but the second thing, Eric, and maybe you can identify with this as well. I know uh, a lot of, and it's probably even worse now, but there was just a lot of broken homes, you know. And so when you're suffering at, at home and you don't feel like there's stability there, I think what happens is, is with these clicks that we talk about, you know, you, find a, you kind of find some kind of identity in your friends and if everybody's coming from a broken home and it's all of that sort of broken identity and then, then you know, then it's, it's kind of like having a little brother. You know, you can make fun of your little brother. Nobody else can, you know, but... but, but yeah, I hear can. you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, so then you kind of tear each other apart in that group. And if, you know, the whole drinking, drugging culture gets into that group, you know, then that becomes sort of the foundation of the identity of the broken community of the broken homes and just so much brokenness. Yeah. And, you know, like for me growing up, uh, well, my, my dad bought me alcohol all throughout high school. Yeah. And, uh, my mom was very anti-alcohol. So, I mean, I still remember getting a minor in possession sitting in the police station and my mom saying he needs treatment. And my dad's the one that bought it. And he's like, yeah, he does, you know? So it's like, you know, what do you do there? You know, and it's just, uh, addiction runs really bad in my in my family also. You know, there's uh, many of us that have broken free of it, but there's many of us who have fallen to it also. Right. So you would, you would Eric, would you say that, I mean, everything that you were doing, because I think there's, I mean, I don't know if people are listening right now that are, are in high school or parents that are listening, uh, but you can hear the brokenness of, of this story, right? And how many things went wrong. And I was even kind of thinking, like, <clears throat> if you look at gangs, you know, in big cities, like, what are gangs? They're a family. Even I mean, they're a really messed up, disordered family, but they're a family, and they give people identity. And so 
I, I think maybe if you could speak a little bit more into you know your identity in this place as a drug dealer and how that just kind of got more and more out of control and deeper and deeper, deeper into just darkness. Well, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, when I said earlier, when I could have, for as hard as I tried, I mean, and I don't know how much meth really like intrigued other people. I know the girl that I was dating at the time didn't really like to do it and whatnot, but I just kept diving deeper and deeper into the connections and the people and, I mean, I was going to St. Mary's High School, but you should see the bikers that I was running around outside of the school. I mean, it's just... And uh, eventually this this grew more and more. And, you know, I thought there was, we, there was a lot of drugs back then, and this is the 90s. But the amount of drugs that are around nowadays actually just blows me away. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy for the stories I see on the news for uh, the pounds and pounds and everything. I mean, even these young kids getting caught with ounces and whatnot. I mean, there are large quantities now. But back in the day, I just dove deeper and deeper into the biker crowd. I mean, to the, I mean, there's all sorts of groups. And uh, what was that? What was that like? Like, I mean, can you just explain to the, the listeners what kind of culture that is, what you were experiencing during that time? Well, it's just uh, like one of my, uh, my connections used to get stuff from California and uh, they would, he would bring them by my house sometimes. And uh, they were Mexicans and whatnot, but they would tell me about what it was like down in California, and how you know how many people died all the time. I mean, I mean, just from the drug deaths and just gang-related stuff and whatnot. And here I am associating with all these people, and they're hanging out in my living room. And uh, yeah, it's just there. There was a serious group of people, but I just. In your mind, you're still thinking, oh, these are my friends, this is my dude, or this is, you know, you just make this facade that this is, these are your people, but they're not. They're, 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 I mean, they're, there's no loyalty in the drug world. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. running around with each other's boyfriends or girlfriends. Whoever's got the stuff has is the popular one, and whoever doesn't is <coughs> nobody wants anything to do with. I mean, it's just... I like what you said. There's, there's no loyalty in the drug there's world. There's no love. Yeah, no, absolutely. No. My senior year, my, my buddy, my, my weed connection got in trouble for weed, so he ended up wearing a wire on me twice in my senior year. So, I mean, and then my ex-girlfriend in 08 wore a wire on me. I mean, so it's like there's no loyalty. Everybody's just looking out for themselves. Yep, and it's just, and that's, that's the thing. There is no loyalty. And even like, like the girls that I dated and whatnot, if I didn't have anything, they were all of a sudden with my connection and not answering their phone. And But then again, vice versa, if I had stuff and I had the girls, I was doing the same. I mean, it's just, it's such an evil, ugly world. And I think you, it's important to, to, I think it's important to realize that for our listeners, like this is, this is not, uh, you know, just some kind of, culture like this is sin this is the demonic and so as heaven is all about community loyalty love uh this this world the drug world the the sin world is all about the self like it is just about you and you getting what you want and if you're not you'll bury anybody that's in your way and you know you can I, I, I'm a, I was a fan of Breaking Bad. I don't know if anybody else watched that <clears throat> that TV series. And I remember 
I was watching it. It's all about meth and the meth world. And I remember I got into this point where I was like, I, I can't watch this anymore. It's just getting too dark. Uh, and then there was this realization that the, the creators of this show were not trying to make it super dark. They were just showing the meth culture. And, and by its very nature, it was insanely dark. And it just got darker and darker and darker. And people just got more and more and more ingrained into this pride. They made these choices that turned them into these terrible people. And that's just the reality of, of sin. So anyway, Eric, we're going to come back after break. Uh, it's been great. We have, so we've got the first part. We've got uh, how he got into this. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit further on about how he got out of it and how the Lord really reached into his life and, and, and pulled him out of the depths, the throes of sin. Uh, and so until we, uh, he, until we get back, uh, keep in anxious anticipation. Eric, we'll be back in about two minutes. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in a second. God bless. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. In today's crowded higher education field, there's one university whose quality and personal care stands out from the crowd, the University of Mary. The University of Mary offers truly affordable, flexible adult education because your success is our priority. Here, you matter, and we're with you every step of the way to make sure you succeed. Choose a university community that cares about you as a student for life. Discover us at online.umary.edu slash discovermary. If there is a merciful God, how can he allow such suffering? I'm Father Chris Alar. God took his greatest risk in giving you his greatest gift, free will. He risks that you may choose not to love him and to hurt your neighbor. But even then, God wants to bring a greater good out of evil. There is no worse evil than a creature nailing his creator to a tree. Yet God brought a greater good from it, your redemption. God doesn't want you to suffer, but he allows it. Why? Because your suffering can also be redemptive when you share in the cross of Christ. It is not easy, but when you learn how, it changes everything. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Honor your Father by word and deed, that a blessing from Him may come upon you. Sirach 3.8 Our priests guide us on the right path and teach us about our Catholic faith. At Real Presence Radio, we'd like to honor them for helping to deepen our relationship with Jesus. Each week on Real Presence Live, we honor our fathers with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. You can nominate your priest to receive special recognition by going to yourcatholicradiostation.com. And thank you to all our priests for your service to the Holy Catholic Church. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Father Justin Walsh. And I'm Father Josh Walsh. We are the Sons of Thunder. We got a heck of an interview going on right now. Mr. Eric Lowe, who is the guest on... Real people, real, real problems, problems, real, real conversion. conversion. Well, Eric, back to the story. Um, 
as you were saying, you know, these people just, you know, the, the, the culture that you were in, they just didn't care about you. And, uh, and like you said, we were talking during the break, and you said, you know, when I went to prison, he's like, guess how many of my buddies uh, that I was, quote, unquote, friends with wrote me when I was in prison? Zero. <clears throat> right? So, again, and, and I think it's really important. You know, this is an extreme example for sure. Um, but you can see most of sin, most of our problems come out of a lack of identity. You know, if you're, I mean, when my whole life changed, and Eric, I'm sure you can speak to this later on, when your whole life changed, that you realized that you were an, a son of the eternal father. That became your identity. And when, once that identity is ingrained in you, your whole outlook, your whole worldview changes. But for so many, their, their identity is coming from this world. <clears throat> Be that on the popular guy. It, whatever it is, or on the prettiest girl, that they're, they're putting all their stock into the world and that will constantly let you down. And so maybe, Eric, if you can just kind of continue on, on how that was just, it was slowly just letting you down, letting you down, letting you down, leading more and more and more into this point of, you know, rock bottom. You know, maybe you can help us understand that a little bit. Well, the rock bottom, I mean, I, you know, they say before you can break free of your addiction, you have to hit rock bottom. Well, I don't know how much lower I couldn't have, could have went on so many occasions, whether it be, I mean, the overdoses, I mean, just the suicide attempts and just everything. But that was still in my mind normal. I right. mean, and um, insanity is, what do they say, is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Right. But uh, I, I didn't feel, you know, even like, you know, I said in my senior year, somebody wore a wire on me twice. Well, the judge offered me a deferred sentence, but I ended up violating probation and I ended up going for six months. And as soon as I got back out, I was right back in the same, because I didn't have any other identity. I didn't feel any other worth. You know, I thought that's who I was for so long. And... um and, and and the older I got, and the more my addiction evolved, I mean, more the more of the suicide attempts, more of the just the darker depths of the addiction. I mean, there's nothing worse than uh, waking up and not having any idea what happened in the last couple of days, owing thousands of dollars, and the people you're calling that supposedly owe you money, nobody's answering their phones, and it's just your girlfriend is long gone. I mean, it's just hell on earth. It's absolutely pure hell on earth. I mean, and just, but that's normalcy to an to an addict. Your your self esteem, your your identity, all these things. I mean, is it also affecting your health, like your physical health? Oh I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine what that <laughs> what meth would do to the body and the mind. No, I know I can't. You know, and that's the thing. Then sitting there doing that anhydrous meth, and then we used to wash it with paint thinner. And whatnot. I mean, and just can you explain what that means for our listeners? Well, when you wash when you wash it with paint thinner, it supposedly takes all the impurities out of it, so you have a hundred percent mess. So I mean, then me, you know, Albert Einstein. I still remember going to Walmart at four in the morning and buying coffee filters and paint thinner. I mean, God forbid they they don't know what I'm up to, you know. But it's (laughs) not very sneaky. Normalcy. But uh, like I said, the, the depth of my addiction just 
And so many of my friends I have lost over the years to overdoses or suicides. You know, I came so close so many times to trying to kill myself. I mean, I, I have track marks on my arm, suicide marks on my wrist, and I've probably done 12 or 13 years total in prison. Needless to say, I don't know how many treatments I've done. I mean, my senior year, I did a month in inpatient at Heartview. I mean, and it just... But it becomes it became a normalcy where when you get in trouble, then you go to treatment. So then it looks like you're doing good. Blah, blah. It's just as an addict, you just learn how to play the system. So right. exactly. So okay. So we're at the darkest possible moment here. Where where what happened? How did you get? I mean, how did how did God work in your life? Where, where what happened? The breaking point, or what yeah. brought me back? Both. Okay, yep. Um, in '08. My ex-girlfriend wore a wire on me, and I was looking at my third delivery of meth, and uh, I had already had the two deliveries from high school, so this was a 20-year minimum mandatory. Well, my dad had bailed me out of jail, and uh, I was continuously going to the bar drinking. And, you know, because it's from the, what stinks when you get in legal trouble because from the minute you wake up till the minute you go to bed, that's all you think about because you just, the devil says, oh, you're going to do this, you're going to, you know, you're just, and that's what happened what's going on in my life. I mean, the devil, you're going to go to prison, you're going to get beat up, you're going to do all, you know, just bombarding me and it just, I was so miserable, but then I'd go drinking and, you know, you feel good about yourself, but... Uh, it was on October 8th. I had left the sports page, and I ended up rolling my truck over in Mandan, like right by uh, Raging Rivers. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I was over in Mandan. I lived in Bismarck. I don't know why I drove over there. But uh, they found me 100 feet from my vehicle with three broken vertebrae, and my lungs were co- collapsed, and I wasn't supposed to make it through the night. Well, by the grace of God, I'm alive today. Um, had I died, I would be in the deepest pit of hell because all I cared about before was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, I wasn't a dad to my son. I wasn't a son to my parents. I wasn't a brother to my sister. I wasn't anything to anybody except I was an addict to myself. And uh, it's I haven't had a cigarette. I haven't had a drink. I haven't had a drug. I haven't. I've been sober over twelve years now, and it's just by the grace of God, I'm alive today. And He could have just easily let me die. He could have let me just go to hell, and because that's the life I wanted to live. But in His love and mercy, He just He saved me, and He gave me another chance at life. And uh, needless to say, I did end up going to prison in '09 for the twenty years. But I was in for nine years, and uh, I was able to get early parole. And But going to prison was the biggest blessing also, because I went to catechism class every Monday night for nine years. And I didn't know about incorruptible saints. I didn't know about uh, Sister Faustina and Jesus, I trust in you. I didn't know how many times Mary had. I mean, there's so much I learned, and what a gift and blessing to to our faith and to learn so much about it. And also my teachers, the deacons and whatnot, were so led by the Spirit. I mean, it, it, it was just the biggest gift and blessing. 
And maybe, uh, neither- Eric, maybe you can maybe you can speak too to just you know. I remember when my brother and I came out to the the prison and did the retreat. And uh, oh, okay, yeah, just kind of what that was like. <clears throat> okay, well, yeah, it, you know, and it's it's crazy because when I got to Jamestown, that's where they kept me at. Um, one of the girls I graduated with was the guard there, and she asked have you talked to Justin? And I was like, no. And I was like, he, she said, he's a priest up in Minot. And I was like, shut the front door. You know, we always <laughs> talked about that in high school. And uh, she ended up giving me your address. And I wrote you, and I hadn't seen you in, what, 15, 15 years or so, and I wrote yeah, you. That's probably right. Yeah. But, but we had these uh, residents encounter Christ. And they were a Catholic groups where they would take us and put us over in a different building for the weekend. And they'd have volunteers come in from the outside, and we'd get in groups. And uh, we, we would just sit and do answer questions and work as a group. And it, just, it was all about God, and it was all about our faith. And then we would have Mass. We would have reconciliation. And it was just a wonderful time, and it just really was so positive, too, because it got you out of the, all the negativity of the prison and brought you over where it was nothing but loving, caring people that were really there that loved God and loved you. And it was, both of you had made an appearance two, three different times then eventually, I think. Right. And it was, I mean, it was just a very powerful uh, time. And, you know, and then, Eric, when you got out, <clears throat> um, and, you know, I don't, everybody that's listening, you know, you received a pardon uh, maybe you can just tell us a story about that, because I think that's a really powerful story. Okay, well, even, you know, I had learned about Sister Faustina and Jesus, I trusted you. And even before I went to the parole board, I was sitting outside the door, and I was sitting there thinking, Jesus, I trust in you. Whatever day I get out is part of your plan for me. Well, then I talked to my old case manager, and she was just phenomenal, too. She pushed for years for me to be seen earlier, and they finally did, moved it up like two years, my parole hearing. But uh, I was like, should I apply for a pardon? And she's like, well, why wouldn't you? And uh, so I turned in my the, the pardon application, and I had 10, 15 family members write letters. My, my amazing boss wrote a, a letter. I just, and even my church, I did an article on whatnot about me, about changing my life and whatnot. So I had a lot of stuff I brought to the table. Well, then I went to see uh, Father Wolf of at St. Mary's uh, Church that morning. I said, do you have a prayer blessing I could receive before um, I go to uh, this pardon hearing? And he's like, Jesus, I trust in you. He's like, and I was like, so then when I got to the pardon hearing, um, it was Wayne Stenjum and then uh, six or seven other pardon board members and whatnot sitting there, and uh, Wayne Stenjum asked me a bunch of different questions, but then he finally asked, Mr. Loa, what happens if you don't receive your pardon today? And I said, Jesus, I trust in you. I said, if it's part of God's plan for me to get pardoned, you guys will pardon me. And if it's not, then I won't. And then he's like, Wayne started laughing. He's like, well, way to put the pressure on all of us. <laughs> and everybody... And everybody started laughing, and then the chairman of the board asked me, he's like, Mr. Lowe, will you pray for us? And I said, well, it depends on how today goes. And then everybody <laughs> started laughing again. That's but, it. Um, Eric, incredible. we got to get moving here. I just want to leave all of our listeners with a scripture passage, First Timothy chapter 1, 15. Here's a trustworthy saying. 
that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Uh, As you see how God can work in all of this, the amazing providential hand, as we wrap up this segment of Real Real People, people, Real Problems, Real Conversion. Up next, we're going around the world in 60 seconds with Catholic Lives Matter. We'll see you on the backside of the break. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.